Today's reading is from Psalm 146. It can be found on page 580 in the Bibles next to your seats as well as on the screen. This is God's word. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, my soul. I will praise the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. Do not put trust in princes and human beings who cannot save. When their spirits departs, they return to the ground. On that very day, their plans come to nothing. Blessed are those who help is the, is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord their God. He is the maker of heaven and earth, the sea, and everything in them. He remains faithful forever. He upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow. But he frustrates the ways of the wicked. The Lord reigns forever, your God, O Zion, for all generations. Praise the Lord. The word of the Lord. As we consider this psalm, I invite you into prayer as we begin. Let us pray. Our God of grace, we don't know what other people sitting around us this morning are holding in their hearts. And it might surprise us the levels of joy or the experience of woundedness, the great doubts of faith, or the great certainties of your presence. Some of us have had a wonderful mountaintop kind of a week, and others of us have had a valley that has felt like the Psalm 23 valley of the shadow of death. And then just throw into that all the places in between those highs and lows. Some of us anesthetized by the comforts of the American way of life. And so now we especially look to you and your Holy Spirit that your word, powerful and active, may, may penetrate through all of the things that we bring. That you may see what we bring, and, but then your word may move beyond it to a deeper place. Because we're all more of a mess than we care to admit. And we bring that mess with us. But your word... Over and over, your gospel says that we are more loved and accepted than we ever imagined in Christ, and that is our new identity. Broken, mess, chaotic, sinful, but loved. Beloved child of God is our identity. May the grace, the grace that, that just ignites when those two things are held inside our hearts, may that ignite now through your Spirit's help as we listen for your voice in this scripture. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. The 
real subject and the point of my message today is that God sees the overlooked. And um, we kind of have almost in our public consciousness a belief that God should see the overlooked. Don't we kind of have that? Isn't that kind of a part of our modern dialogue? God should see the overlooked. We have a lot of shoulds for God, and so we asked the question of the week last week, uh, God should blank, and some of the answers that came in were, were entertaining, but also deep and rich, and so somebody wrote, I think I know who wrote this, my daddy, God should, God should get my daddy to go faster when it's time to get ice cream, but he's practicing his sermon. That's my daughter, Mabel. Um, someone else had a few different things that they wrote down. God should adjust his expectations. God should be a little more transparent. God should take some me time. That's, that's my favorite. God should take some me time. Who, who wrote that? Come on. Um, God should share some of his secrets. And then someone else said, God should let me win the Powerball. Um, God should. We, so we have these impulses today about what God should do and how the world should work. In fact, if, if you listen to some people today, our, we have this feeling like our eyes are finally opened, that we're seeing the overlooked, and that we've arrived in some kind of golden age of awakening and justice. Because we kind of know now to watch out for the oppressed. And to hold up the cause of the weak. And then somehow we're scandalized and surprised when a prominent story in the news reveals examples of what we thought was for sure a bygone era. When, you know... We discriminated on the basis of race, when people feared the immigrants, when people committed violence against the Jews, when we trampled on the powerless or orphans and leaders didn't protect widows and the handicapped. And so, like last weekend and all the other things that come up in the news over and over again with the shooting in the synagogue of the Tree of Life, we say, how can it be, not just the age-old question of how can that be, how can that happen, but how can that happen today, now, in today's world? And I would suggest, as we look at Psalm 146 today, that our shock and disbelief doesn't reveal necessarily how wide open our eyes are, but perhaps something else. Perhaps we might consider that our supposed shock and disbelief might show how obscured we are allowing our vision to be or how selective our seeing is or how blinded our eyes are to the real situation. And in order to get at that, and I think to really hear Psalm 146 sing, we have to get a little background. We have to go way back, I think. Archaeologists today surmise that it's basically indisputable that the earliest human groups of people as they spread, as they moved along, that they violently and very effectively wiped out all less capable groups of people. And as the human presence moved across the globe also, 
scores of animal species were wiped out, especially big ones like you might know of the woolly mammoth. That's just one case of hundreds. And so humans constantly used the very, the, the every sing, they used every single advantage and privilege against the less advantaged and underprivileged, ruthlessly, thoughtlessly, and you might say this is, in, in this context, you might say sinfully in the context of Psalm 146. And this is just kind of the history of us. Which makes it all the more astonishing that thousands of years ago, all of a sudden we have this preserved record of an underprivileged group, the people of Israel, the Jews, eventually they would be called, that they were experiencing a God who revealed himself as existing for, for the disadvantaged. For the oppressed, hungry, prisoners, the blind, those who were bowed down, the foreigner, the fatherless, the widow. This is astonishing against the backdrop of the history up until that point. And in the stories they held dear, they were not afraid to lift up the incredibly countercultural attitude that this God has as they gave us stories, prominent stories of prominent people in their history like Rahab, the prostitute, of Jericho, the foreign country. She was a foreigner. She was unclean and unacceptable in the presence of God amidst this people that was told to be clean and be acceptable to God. And yet the story enfolds Rahab into the people of God. Another great example, the widow at Zarephath. The widow at Zarephath, her son was fatherless. Her and her son were both hungry. She was a widow. Uh, and she was a foreigner. She wasn't an Israelite. So for sure, four strong categorizations from Psalm 146. And let, yet this heathen outsider woman becomes the destination of the prophet to be her and her son to be cared for and taken care of. And so it's clear from the Bible that as humanity wants to step on the less advantaged, God sees. God looks. God sees them over and over again. Even when we are not, God sees the overlooked. And then Jesus comes. And Jesus is born in an overlooked stable with an, uh, as in the midst of an overlooked teenager's life. And she's a part of an overlooked ethnic group, an ethnic minority amidst the powerful, privileged Romans. That's how his life starts. And then he die, it dives more and more into Psalm 146 from that point to where you see story after story. I'm sure there would be a very interesting percentage if you added up all the stories about Jesus' encounters with people and how many of them are with someone who would qualify in one of these overlooked categories. There would be a big number. Over and over, Jesus is caught with being with, talking with, helping with, lifting up, healing, or giving sight to the overlooked. 
And he doesn't do it at the expense of the privilege. He also is looking to people who have places more of privilege and power, and he talks to them too. But even in those exchanges, like with Zacchaeus or with the rich young ruler as a couple of examples, the stories often bend back towards the people on this list. And so Jesus is just, as we think of in the Christian church, Jesus, the the Son of God, God in the flesh, God incarnate. And he just enters in to the lives of the overlooked, ministers to them. And while Jesus is seeing the overlooked and ministering to the overlooked, the religious leaders, the experts of the Bible, the experts of Psalm 146, some of them probably had Psalm 146 memorized, these words up here. But as they saw Jesus doing all these things, living it out right in front of their vision, they would, and they didn't avoid it, they went to watch him. As they watched Jesus live out the vision of what God is supposed to look like, and they're supposed to be the ones that knew what God looked like, as they saw it play out in front of them, they just saw things they disagreed with. (laughs) And it's right, it's like, it's right here, right in front. And they just said, Ah, what's Jesus? Who is this? Yeah, that's it. Who is this? And and that, as just an aside, is something to consider about us and our what we're capable of spiritually. It's possible that God is often in our lives working out things right in front of us, and we're saying, "I have a problem with part of that." You know that. I, I want to argue with that. I don't agree with that. It's possible. Just it's possible. It's possible. And so we see through Jesus, just to summarize that, we see that God sees the overlooked. It's shown to us again. And some of this trickles into our culture today. And it's from the Christian, uh, it's from the Christian tradition that over time, that some of this idea that we would see the overlooked, that we would, we've got today all kinds of groups of the overlooked that are in the, in the popular dialogue. Now it's accepted for you and I to make an about face from all our history of stomping on and trampling on the way to misusing our advantages. And to stop and say, no, let's, Let's uphold, let's free, let's liberate, let's look out for that one. They're the weaker, they need help. And so we do, we have this. That's pretty amazing to go against all of the historical realities of how things work. And so we have this as a part of our dialogue, and yet it's not simple. It's kind of confusing to try to figure it out. One of the confusing and hard things, especially for me if I'm honest, is that I find it much easier to share a Facebook post or to even change maybe my background to say something like Black Lives Matter than it is to actually find a time or two in which the needs of the overlooked are going to find themselves on my calendar in an actual prioritized spot. And and another thing is that as we... 
have some of these Christian-inspired ideas having gone public, sometimes in statements like, all men are created equal, or in Dr. King's I Have a Dream speech, or in the Declaration of Universal Human Rights, we find ourselves able to be shockingly naive, especially if we're one of the lucky ones. We tend to be more naive if you're like me and you're one of the lucky ones of maybe generations of, maybe it's generations of home ownership or maybe it's extended family that's never, there's never been an instance of someone being locked up. Or um, you just know people and you yourself have always been above the poverty line or you know about college degrees and IRAs and savings accounts because you have one or two or three of those things. And so we find ourselves, those with privilege, those with these kinds of things stacked up in our, and advantages in our favor with blinders on. That's really the only way to say it. So that when an elected official says something that sounds hurtful to the overlooked, we're appalled. How can this be? How can this be? How did we get here? Aren't we beyond this? And maybe it's because the blinders have been hiding some things that are in plain sight. How did we get here? How did Stephen Clark happen? How did the Tree of Life Synagogue happen? And if, we, if we're willing to be just a little bit open to rethinking and looking at how maybe we got here and see things and just be a little more honest about what is our reality, what is our context, what is today and how has it been shaped by yesterday, we might be able to open our eyes to see things like the exhaustive list of military campaigns to wipe out the tribes of people whose land were overtaken, especially by the gold rush as it made its way to here, Sacramento area. Just if you just take two minutes to look on Wikipedia, the different battles against uh, Native American tribes. Or maybe just the way, just consider the way good church-going people had a failure to give a thought to building their wealth on the backs of slaves as our nation began. Or later on, Jim Crow laws, just look up a few of those. Or the assassination of the most inspiring prophet of the civil rights movement, or white flight in cities across the United States, or racial profiling, and on and on and on. If you're just willing to consider some of the evidence, you, you just have to see that a country that has, is built on stamping out the vulnerable can't suddenly wake up one day and be a compassionate nation out of thin air. I'm just trying to state the obvious. I'm not trying to, some of you are getting uncomfortable, I know, but I'm just trying to state the obvious. And so that when you, you think about just uh, the current immigrant families separated at the border, and I'm, again, I'm just trying to point out the obvious, that um, if you look at that situation, this is right now something our country has been involved in. And if you look at this list and all the ways in which this list of who God is is violated, I'm going to go in bold here if this thing will work. There it is. In bold, all the parts of it that you could say seem to be violated by the separation of immigrants at the border. And you could go in detail about how that's true. But one small one is that where God sets the prisoners free, people are put in prison after a long, hungry journey away from sadness and struggle and lack of power and being overlooked. 
I'm just trying to say, let's have our eyes open. Let's have our eyes open. With our history, perhaps we shouldn't be so surprised when things happen contrary to the values of Psalm 146. And it's easy to act scandalized, and it's easy to air your surprise on social media. In a sense, even, it's easy to cast a vote at the polls, and I hope you do on Tuesday. I hope you all go to the polls and vote. It's easy. It's easier, though, to vote than perhaps some of the other ways that Psalm 146 might move us further. It's easier to naively hope that Psalm 146 will be carried out by our civil leaders and through our laws than it is to truly embody Psalm 146. And Psalm 146 carries within it actually something very helpful on that point. And as we turn our eyes towards the polls and as we walk in thinking, perhaps putting a lot of eggs in the basket of leaders and laws and the systems that we hope to change, Psalm 146 shouts at us something we probably don't want to hear. Do not put your trust in princes, in human beings who cannot save. What happens to those laws and those leaders? When their spirit departs, they return to the ground. On that very day, their plans come to nothing. But isn't that interesting? What this psalm gives us. As you, as you think about walking in on Tuesday to a poll or maybe holding an absentee ballot in your hand, a mail-in one, you walk, as you're walking in to hold together both things, that you are going with hope and justice as itemized on those things in bold and in red up on that screen, hope that somehow what, you, what boxes you check, the vote you register will be something towards the oppressed and the hungry and the prisoners and those bowed down and the foreigner and the fatherless and the widow. And yet at the same time, as you're walking towards that polling station, meanwhile, not trusting the system ultimately and its leaders and its princes and actually trusting something way deeper, a king and a kingdom subversive and not present on a visible throne or in visible laws and in visible leaders in positions of power. Jesus, God's incarnate one, incarnate son, he showed us this kind of combination in the final days. He especially showed us the not trusting in the leaders and the princes and the thrones on his way to the cross. You know, he didn't lead a political campaign. Do you realize that? Jesus didn't do that. He didn't gather up and call, get the vote out to all the oppressed to overthrow the Romans. That was the, that was the oppressor. Jesus was born into oppression, and all his people were oppressed. Um, he didn't do that. In fact, he told Peter to put his sword down as the hour got closer. Actually, if you go back to our opening question, it was God should blank. I actually think that if we're honest, most of us, probably myself more than I want to admit, 
If we'd say what Jesus should do and should have done, our preference deep down would have been that Jesus could have stopped all this mess if he would have just taken to the throne and led an overthrow. We really want, we're really drawn to put our trust in the throne and the crown and princes. And he instead took a throne on a cross with a crown of thorns and was carried to a tomb. He gave up all his advantage and was squashed by the advantaged leaders. And as a result, as a result, a kingdom began that's much bigger, with much greater potential, although you might not see it easily, even if it's right in front of your face. A kingdom began. A kingdom began where the privileged and the overlooked really for the first time are invited to the same table and sit at the same table. That's only possible when Jesus becomes both as he dies on the cross and both look to Jesus on the cross as bringing them in as overlooked ones, as ones who justifiably are overlooked, but they're brought rightfully in only through what Jesus has done and invited to be in the inner circle of God's ultimate power. And for the overlooked in our world, this me- as the overlooked comes forward to this meal, the overlooked says, I have felt overlooked in life, but I, in God, am assured that I am not overlooked. Even though some of the people I might share at this table with overlook me, God doesn't overlook me. And not only that, Jesus entered into being overlooked. He knows what it's like. He's been there. My Savior, my sweet Savior. And yet the person who comes and says, maybe I have advantage or privilege, comes to this table and says, in order even to come to this table, you have to realize, why did this happen for me? Oh, wait, maybe I'm not all that. Maybe I'm actually just like the overlooked. Maybe we're all in the same boat. Maybe we're all the overlooked. Maybe I need to enter into being, what is it like to be the overlooked? Maybe that's my true spiritual identity. And that I only understand God looking at me through his body and his blood. Maybe I only understand his eyes looking at me if I know what it's like to be overlooked. And so both come to one table. All are invited to live their lives then from this table outward, seeing the overlooked the way God chose not to overlook them. And remembering that Jesus said at one point that whatever you do to the least of these, you are doing for me. And in a way, drawing our eyes to see anywhere we see someone who we might overlook, that if we look, if we turn, and if we enter in, we will find Jesus there. Let's pray. Our God, we pray to you and we ask on behalf of this church, whether we are brand new here or whether we have been here a long time, we need to pray to you when we hear a message like this because we're so incapable of seeing and we need to ask, would you set things in our, in our view? Would you put things in our faces? 
would you give city life more and more chances to see, to practice, to bump our lives up against the unseen, the overlooked, poverty, injustice, desperation. If we've been privileged with maybe education or maybe with a sense that law enforcement always has our back or that a family member is there to give us a down payment or a relative to write an important reference, please, God, put some things in our path, in our church. Put more diversity, more beautifully wounded souls, more chaotic and confusing and messy relationships so that we start to see little by little more of what you see and help us to vote this week. Stir our apathetic hearts and lead us to rise and go to the polls with open eyes, but also to stop fooling ourselves that our salvation is at the polls, in the princes of this world, in this leader or the next. Our only hope is in you. Our only help is in you. And may our, if we have disappointment in the justices of society, may that disappointment be rivaled by a disappointment in how little we see and we know you. And may we be moved to look for what we may already be missing right, in for, right before our eyes. Move us as we have a chance in a little bit to come forward to this table of grace to see how deeply you love all of us and invite us joyfully onto a journey of seeing you even more. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We get a chance to respond to hearing God's word. with a time of prayer for on behalf of the church and the world. And the communal response is, Lord, hear our prayer, and you'll also be invited to join your voices together with the Lord's Prayer as we close. Let us pray. Our God of grace, you do sit on a throne, but so often we wish we could see it. You died and then rose from the dead to give us new life and to start a new kingdom. And you ascended to the throne at the right hand of the Father. So we're going to trust with our lives as a church each day, but today as well. We're going to trust you with the burdens and the cares and the worries and the brokenness and the corruption of our world. So hear our prayers, those spoken and unspoken. We pray for our land here in Sacramento, here in California, in the United States. We pray that as votes get tallied on Tuesday, that you would be all about your work, that you would be busy about upholding all those mentioned in Psalm 146, and that you would be all about in whatever subversive and unexpected ways bringing about more justice and less injustice more peace and less war, more compassion and less abuse, more and more each day. We pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. God, we pray for this church, and we pray that you do bring more and more experiences that we need. Perhaps we need 
um, people to love us unconditionally. Perhaps we need to be thrown into situations that make us nervous or uncomfortable. Perhaps we need friends who look and talk and tell stories that are different than our own. Whatever we need, this is what we ask for. We pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. And hear us also as we have a chance to join our voices with those past and present to say the words that you gave us to pray, saying, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Save us from the time of trial and deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. We continue our response to God through our offering, and while the musical offering is being played, um, the, the baskets will come around. And while it'll be a time to worship by giving back to God from what he has given us. Um, and if you are visiting, this is not to be perceived as a moment of pressure. But um, if you do have a contact card from the tear-off in the worship guide, feel free to drop that in there. We'd love to know uh, how we can connect with you more. So we look forward to giving back to God from what he has given us as an act of worship. And let us uh, enter into that time using the words that are on the screen with our offering prayer saying, Almighty God, giver of every good and perfect gift, teach us to render to you all that we have and all that we are, that we may praise you, not with our lips only, but with our whole lives, turning the duties, the sorrows, and the joys of all our days into a living sacrifice to you, through our Savior, Jesus Christ. 